0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Reya. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Reya. It's business, but it's personal. In
0: color. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Mossos,
1: where the shapers
0: of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guests that I'm very pleased to say, are Christian Henson and Paul Thompson, co-founders of Spitfire Audio, a music technology company working with the world's best composers, producers, engineers and studios to produce high quality virtual instruments and sample libraries. And unlike you, I can see into their studios right now and pretty cool they are too. With music and performance having played a huge part in their youth and education, Christian and Paul were each award-winning composers for film and television when, in a Soho pub, they shared a dissatisfaction. The string sample libraries on offer to them simply weren't good enough. They decided to take a leap of faith, as they said, and set out to record their own. Our approach, as Christian says, was to do what we feel other libraries were failing on, to record performances, not samples, to record the room, and in a live room to record and include imperfection and character, but most importantly to record the best musicians playing the best instruments in London. Spitfire Audio was born in 2007 with samples initially shared only with friends, but within a year, some of the most renowned composers in film and television had signed up and Paul and Christian made the samples publicly available. Now Spitfire Sounds are heard in everything from major Hollywood film scores to recordings by Radiohead and U2, I've heard of them. And they have the best backdrop yet here on the 2021 Jazz Shaper series because they're in studios, kind of. Lots of stuff going in the background. Hello to both of you. How are you?
2: Hi, very good. Thank you, Elliot. Yes, we are indeed in our home studios, our sheds. Yeah, we both work from sheds at the bottom of our garden.
0: Which sounds like heaven to me because at the moment I'm working from a room at the top of the house and... um, It's just not distant enough from what else is going on in the world. (laughs) Um, They are fabulous studios. And and normally with our guests as well in this virtual world, we send microphones and things. But of course, what I'm looking at enviously are two incredible microphones and two incredible poppers. But um, that's all of course, just for show. I know that you don't actually use those usually. (laughs) You're just doing it for the program. When I do my research and I find out that two people get together in business, my first question is, so how do they know each other and why did they think that was a good idea? Because for some people, that's the definition of lunacy. Let me ask Christian, from your perspective, and we'll see if it matches up. This is like sort of Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> back in the 70s. So from your point of view, Christian, how did it come about and why this man called Paul Thompson?
3: I was barred and publicly humiliated on a music tech forum. So Paul, who actually shared the same point of view from which barred me from this forum, reached out to me on MySpace of all places, if I remember that correctly, Paul?
2: That's correct. Yep. I thought it was hilarious what was going on. And I knew of Christian. We actually, although we hadn't met, we shared an agent as well in London, Airedale. And so I found Christian's MySpace page and it had a hilarious story about a period of 24 hours in which he'd scored an entire film with a string quartet. And I just thought uh, he he sounds very funny. So I need to uh, drop him a line and see what we can cook up together.
0: And then how long was the cooking before you decided to deliver the the beautiful dish called Spitfire Audio?
3: Well, Paul is someone you wouldn't want to go on a fishing trip with, because if you don't get your waders on quickly, he'll be out in the middle of the lake without you. So we went to the pub called The Endurance, had a few pints. And I think in many Soho pubs, all sorts of ideas and schemes have been hatched over beer and never carried out. And that was pretty much the norm for me. Little did I know. With Paul, is if you suggest something, it gets done, and um, so Paul just jumped on it the next day. rang up my accountant, said, "We're going halves in on this experiment," and
0: that experiment was back in two thousand and seven, as I as I mentioned earlier. Paul, so the man of action, Paul Thompson, says we're going to do it. Christian's like, "Well, he seems confident, so I am in." Just in your own words, at that point. What is it that you were creating that you thought needed to be created? Why did the world need something called Spitfire Audio? What was it doing?
2: Well, there were two problems that we had. So the first problem was that the sounds that we were using to demonstrate pieces of music to directors and producers before they would entrust us with the money to go in and record them in the studio were just not very good and didn't really sound kind of close enough to the end result, what you'd hoped to achieve. The second problem was that, by coincidence, we were both working on TV or film work, which required a small chamber group of strings. And the one thing that you did have with the sounds that were available then was that if you had string sounds, they were huge. It sounded, you know, like an enormous string orchestra. So to be able to convince a director that, okay, the demo sounds enormous – and epic, But actually, when we go down to 15 players, it's going to sound really beautiful and much, much better. It's a really strange and unfamiliar direction to go. I think most directors are used to going up in scale rather than down in scale. So we had that specific problem and we decided to go in in the evening to Air Studios in Hampstead and record a small group of string players and just put those patches together and see how they sounded when we started playing them. Christian musicians
0: and business, to me always, it's, it's not a, a contradiction at all. Many people make great money in the world of music, but generally you have the business side of music and it isn't musicians. And then you have the musicians who you would call the talent. And yet here, what I see in front of me 14 years after you came together is a two people, two musicians who are essentially now making a business work. That's a tricky thing to do. When you set up then, did you think, you know what, I'm just doing this for the music, or this is more of a business? For you, where did the the balance lie?
3: We didn't set this up to start a business at all. In fact, I was pretty adamant to Paul that we didn't set it up as a business. And I think with hindsight, if I had any recommendation for entrepreneurs, is to think about the idea first and to execute that as brilliantly as you can not to think how you can make money out of it because that I think immediately puts you in a conflict of interest with your end user or your customer so to speak and I think that you've touched on something that's very important that something that um, Paul and I do a lot of is is go around the country doing seminars and something I'm very disturbed by is asking you know these people in their final graduate year how many of them have been taught to do business plans and no hands ever go up. And I think that this is one of the problems with musicians is they don't see themselves as businesses, which is why I think that um, it's a very exploitative business.
0: And I think that's probably right, actually. And it's, it's very similar for many professions where people aren't really taught what it's like to actually make money. They're just taught to do the technical thing. And, and a lot of musicians, obviously, they're passionate. They do it because they love it. Paul, how early on did you realise you would need to work harder
2: actually making it
0: work as a business was it almost immediately?
2: So we we financed it initially by going out to some of the much more successful and famous composers but that we had contact with either because Christian had done programming for a couple of Hollywood composers and so we had kind of friends of friends and we knew that composers are, are always searching for new sounds but composers fall into two categories. There are composers who just look at a group of sounds and say, I'll have this one, this one, and this one. And then there are composers who make sounds. And those are much fewer. So what we knew was that if we could come up with some good sounds, then we could get a little group of people together and they would put up some money as a license fee. And that would enable us to kind of keep recording stuff and making the stuff that we needed to do our composing jobs. So it was really just that and the Spitfire name came about because a Christian lived around the corner from the Imperial War Museum. My degree is in aeronautical engineering so we're both kind of plain aficionados and it was just we need to put a name on it. let's call it Spitfire Audio. And as Christian said, it absolutely wasn't supposed to be a business at the beginning. it was just a way of recording and, and getting some good quality sounds for
3: this little group of people. I think if we were honest as well, Paul, we didn't best understand the term depreciation. And we simply thought that the money going out would be taken off our tax bill. And we got a really nasty shock. And that prompted us to make it more of a serious commercial venture through necessity. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Do you, you thought depreciation? Well, that just sounds like the opposite of appreciation. I mean, seriously, and I just want to be appreciated. I'm a musician. And then you get the tax bill. <laughs> And then you work out, actually, maybe we need to structure this properly. Stave me for much more. Some really good insight and some truths about the creative world and the importance of business understanding to make you actually achieve all the things you want to achieve creatively. Much more coming up from Christian and Paul, my business shapes in a couple of minutes. But right now, it's time to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Darius' Tom Grogan and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning, their possible application, and the key things for organisations to consider when seeking to implement them.
1: The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How are we
0: seeing organisations leverage their data and how can we help them?
4: So AI, you know, the umbrella term artificial intelligence, has been on the radar for most companies across all industries. But it's difficult for you to know exactly where to start. You often need help navigating the different technologies while having the confidence that they're going to maintain their legal and regulatory compliance, uh, you know, and upholding your company's digital ethics in some sense when i teach uh, technology on the masters or the mba program at ucl school of management i start by getting managers and executives to break the problem down what are the inputs what are the outputs what data are you trying to collect where is it stored one of the main management challenges is starting to think about these systems probabilistically how wrong could the answer be how frequently could you get the answer wrong but still on average it provides utility Most management education isn't really geared to this and so starting to be able to think creatively is often useful in trying to identify where machine learning opportunities lie within your business.
1: The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon D'Oreya. It's business. But it's personal.
0: All our former Jazz Shapers and indeed this very program, with Christian and Paul, can be enjoyed again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you can whisper "Play Jazz Shapers" into its ear, and there you'll find many of our recent shows. It's a trick I do quite a lot with my eight-year-old. She likes whispering to Alexa. But back to today's program: Christian Henson, Paul Thompson, are my business shapers, co-founders of Spitfire Audio, music technology company producing high-quality virtual instruments and sample libraries, which are now used. I read in everything from Doctor Who to Dunkirk. Um, I went on and, and, and did my play. And the nice thing about researching you is, of course, you can listen, and it's fun. And there was a specific – and I say fun, it's also brilliant. There was a contemporary drama toolkit. I went online and had a listen to that, and I urge anyone listening to it, just, just go, I think you can put it into YouTube, and you will find it there. It's an eerie trailer, it says here, for Spitfires Audio's latest product, a broadcast-ready sound set for drama productions. Paul you mentioned is some people want to make stuff some people just want to pick it up a bit like a you know a magpie and stick it back over there in the in their nest where do these ideas come from for new sounds because when you hear something new it's extraordinary it blows you away because your your senses aren't used to it it's the first time you touch something the first time you eat something you haven't it's incredibly sensory where does that happen where does the creativity happen mostly
3: for me and Paul I think that what makes our company kind of interesting is we are working composers. So we're, we're both the kind of founders and the end user. And I'll give you an example. I was working on a TV adaptation of uh, The Go-Between. And uh, part of the character of that piece is the heat. Now, when you show British landscape, you don't really associate it with heat. And there was this scene with this barley swaying in the, in the wind and the director said, it doesn't feel hot enough. So I looked at that and I thought I want to have something that's absolutely arid sounding. So I decided to get twenty mandolin players and get them playing these kind of tremolandi, which are just repeated notes, in air studios, and that kind of created a sound that was useful and 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 it created a, a creative thread, I guess. For Spitfire, and we've done the same with harps and marimbas. So for me, it's it's these little problems that get thrown up within your profession and the solutions are often sonic and therefore provide opportunities for our business. And Paul, the reference points
0: to be able to do that must be enormous because to get to the point, that Christian said, where you take the place and the feeling of, of dryness and of being arid and then translate that into an instrument that will deliver it and then make sure the instruments are played in the appropriate way, that means you have to know quite a lot about music, that range. I mean, you're, you're composers but you're producers.
2: Yeah, there's a huge amount of production work that goes into this. And and part of being a a good producer of anything, really, is imagination. As Christian just said, it's trying to imagine what something might sound like and then investigate and see if that's something that will genuinely be different and and new. And one of the examples that we've often worked with Hans Zimmer who is a soundsmith. He's one of those people who loves to make sounds, a brilliant engineer as well. He can hear things in a certain way. And we made a library of string instruments with him, a string orchestra, which has 344 players in it. And so we recorded, the largest group we recorded at any one time was 60 cellos and then 60 violins but we got them to play really, really quietly as well. And that sound of something that you would, I mean, I had certainly never heard that before, 60 cellos all playing these really interesting sounds, but just very quietly. It becomes this sea of, of human emotion. It's a, it's a really strange sensation, but that's where we love to investigate things that have never been done before and, and try and imagine sound worlds that don't exist.
0: When you're in a studio or when you're thinking about a project and you're collaborating with extraordinary people and young, old, experienced, famous, not famous, and you're, you've you got a brief, and then you hear something which is off brief but brilliant, is there a way of squaring that circle or do you manage to still focus on the brief or do you change the brief because you just know it's going to be better if?
3: I think the latter is correct. I think that um, certainly with our business, Experimentation and the act of collaboration is where we find these seams of creativity. It's amazing how many ways a violin can be played. And say, for example, with our work with Olafur Arnolds, who's an Icelandic composer, he will get exactly the same group of players on exactly the same instruments and the way he directs them to play will create an entirely different sonic canopy, if you will. Um, Working as a media composer, which means I write music for film and TV, I think it's just very important to keep looking at the picture. And if it makes the picture better, then I'm all up for it. I had a, a bassist the other day do an extraordinary thing on his bass. And I said, you're foreshadowing the danger, so we can't go with that. So, um, But I always welcome su- suggestions from people I'm collaborating with.
0: And Paul, on that point about collaboration, you know, that certain words ping and buzz at, at certain times in business cycles. And it's, you know, whether it's Jeff Bezos stepping down from his day one company or whether it's The Good to Great and it's another book that people reference. Collaboration is one of those words that comes back into fashion at the heart of what you do is is collaboration. So from your point of view, Paul,
2: what makes it work? When is
0: it at its heightened best?
2: Well, I think it's very hard to be a musician on your own, sitting in a room. It's what composers do. But the, the real joy of our job is when you are able to collaborate. And that can take many forms. It can be writing with somebody. And there may even be two of you in the room while you're creating a piece of music, and that's fantastic fun as well. But the but the key moment is when you put some parts in front of these incredible musicians that we have in London that we're so lucky to, to be able to work with. And when you hear them bring your piece to life, the one thing that that unites all composers, we're all desperate to have as many live players on our, on our music as possible. Even if you can only afford two or three live players, you will still book them because it will elevate the sound of the music. And for me, that's the, that's the real joy of the collaborative process. Just thinking about the live process, Christian, briefly before
0: we go into our final chat with both of you, we've all missed the ability to be in the room with musicians on the whole. And obviously there'll be some socially distant exceptions to that when people have produced things and so on. But generally the public, us, me, we haven't been able to go to a gig. We haven't been able to step anywhere near the sound and the crackle and the feeling that is just wonderful and that, as I mentioned earlier, you can't help but react to it. What do you think that's doing to us? Because obviously this is something that must be dear to your heart.
3: Absolutely. I think there are many things that could be a product of this, but I think one of the most important things... Someone was recently talking to me about the eradication of music education in our education system. And they pointed out to me that one of the most valuable things that people get from playing music together is a deeper sense of empathy. And I always maintain that you get rid of empathy at your own risk. It's like getting rid of the bees. And I think that I fear for mankind with any erosion of empathy sorry was that too oh, deep that,
0: no it's not too deep it's, it's absolutely right and and i think it's at the heart of kindness and it's at the heart of putting yourself in other people's shoes and that's a big a big thing right now final chat coming up with my guests christian henson and paul thompson plus we'll be playing a track from billy holiday that's all come up in just a moment don't go anywhere
1: jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal
0: Billy Holiday there with I Get a Kick Out of You, Some Proper Jazz Shapers here on Jazz Shapers, which is lucky because that's what it's called. My business shapers, Christian Henson and Paul Thompson, have been with me. They're the co-founders of Spitfire Audio. And we've been talking about the role of music, the role of business in music, collaboration and, and all sorts of things. You're a double act. And and I like it because you don't you don't seem to talk over each other. You both smile when each other speaks. You still listen. There's a lot of empathy going on, and you obviously still like each other and believe in each other. In terms of your leadership styles. Are there roles that you play naturally in the business that differ? And if so, who plays which role?
2: We're incredibly lucky. We we do really like each other. We're good friends. And also from the very beginning, we've, we discovered that we have very complementary skills. At the very beginning of Spitfire, when there weren't really any employees, it was just Christian and me, we would uh, split the work up. So Christian dealt with a lot of the Putting together the packaging of the stuff and dealing with the website and the kind of pros, how you you know how products were described and all that kind of thing, all of the marketing side and the kind of PR side of things, and I'm terrible at that. I have no visual sense, aesthetic sense at all, really. All my skill set is is in the, my ears, so I don't have any complementary visual sense. So I would just concentrate on the production side of things a bit. Programming and you know nerding out on the recordings and things like that. So we did kind of complement each other quite well, I think. Do you, how would you describe it,
3: Christian? Absolutely, and that's we're, there's now just over a hundred people who work at Spitfire, and uh, I would say that we've divvied up the business. So Paul really, most of the time, really concentrates on the production technical side of things. We did cross over, and I'm a little bit more responsible for the brand and marketing. I mean, if I had one view and i hope i don't embarrass you by saying this paul i think that the key to a successful relationship whether that be in a business partnership or indeed in say a marriage is the ability to let each other be themselves and i think that's something that paul and i do with each other and paul has certain quirks that i may roll my eyes about and i know that i have certain quirks and behavior patterns that paul goes oh my lord but we let each other be ourselves. And I think that's absolutely crucial to the success of a partnership. Paul, you and I had had business partners in the past and it hadn't worked out. So yeah, we wanted to both, make sure this worked. <laughs> we've both had terrible, terrible
2: business partners in the past. But um, yeah, so we were actually prepared. We'd done, we'd done all the kind of, you know, really hard, painful failure work before we actually <laughs> met each other. So
3: One of the real key things is... The first time out in a business partnership, there's this feeling, a need that you have to be doing an equal amount of work. And that is a fool's errand. It ebbs and flows. And I think being comfortable and happy with that is absolutely crucial. That's a really good point. I think there's an in- inherent
0: guilt, isn't there, in that sense where you think you absolutely must be divvied up properly. And it doesn't. It just doesn't work like that. It strikes me also that your values are similar. And, I, and I'm thinking about the charitable donations that you make, the causes that you identify that is also, to me, externally, a really important thing. And and Christian, you've mentioned the education piece, both from a business point of view, but also just, I believe you give money also to education around music itself. And these things, they feel super important. And, and it, again, it doesn't seem like you're doing it for effect. It feels like that comes from both of you as human beings who happen to be talented musicians.
3: Yeah, I mean, the very first thing I remember saying to Paul when we went in for that first session was that we must give the musicians royalties. We're not obliged to by musician union rules, but we do that voluntarily. And um, I said to Paul, uh, I'm from a show business background. Uh, My parents are actors. And in fact, my grandfather set up Actors' Equity, which is the actors' union. And I said, Paul, you're going into business with a union, lad. So we have to look after them. The thing is... Music is about feeling, and if uh, I think for anyone who's recorded a vocalist, if they're unhappy, you're not going to get a good performance out of them. And I think that you've got to keep the people around you happy to get the best out of them. You hear it in the playing, in the emotion that they pour into their instruments. So they've got to be happy. I wasn't
0: going to mention your acting, uh, the family acting, but I've got to say, because Christian's mum is Una, and Una for me, when Wurzel Gummidge was (laughs) big, a man of a certain age just went, ugh. There's <laughs> stops <laughs> so there you go i know she's probably in her yes. 80s now um but you can say ah oh, she's got at least one fan and probably a lot more of a, of a gentleman of a certain age it's been great talking to you both thank you i've really enjoyed it you have put a smile on my face you obviously love what you do and you've built a really fantastic business so congratulations on all of those things just before i let you disappear back to those very very beautiful studios of yours quietly and do your other things um, what's your song choice between you and why have you chosen it
3: it's uh, Donny Hathaway, Everything is Everything. For me, it's, it just feels very positive for a less than positive time. And I think it's quite interesting because it was recorded in 1969, uh, released in 70. And if you listen to it, it sounds that it's maybe a lot further down the line. So I think that this album and, and this track is a real kind of antecedent to the work, say, of Stevie Wonder in the mid 70s and stuff. So I think it's um, quite interesting in that respect.
0: That was Voice Inside Everything is Everything by Donny Hathaway. The song choice of my business shapers today, Christian Henson and Paul Thompson. Great advice for entrepreneurs. Firstly, think about the idea first, the money will come. We've heard that before and it's an important point to remember. Secondly, it's about imagination when you're in the music business. Absolutely critical. Really important also that music plays a role of ensuring that people have a deeper sense of empathy. And that connection with other people, really, really important. And finally, those people in partnership, think about this one. It's really good advice. Let your partner be themselves. Really great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely, happy and safe weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Mishkondorea. It's business